end of the year. Uh, well, so take your Bible again and turn with me to Joel chapter 2. We've been in this series. If you'd like a little Bible study that's a little bonus material, you can, you can find that out at the, at the Info Hub. We've got uh, Bible study through the book of Joel. The staff went through that. The advisory council uh, went through that. And so we'd encourage you uh, for some extra credit uh, bonus points. You can go, with it, go, uh, go through that with us as well. So we've been in the book of Joel. We've been discovering the timeless message of Joel, a message that transcends the boundaries of generations, the boundaries of culture, and into our world, it has something to say. To us, it has something to say. In a world faced with uncertainties, with crisis, crisis after crisis, with moral challenges, the prophetic words of Joel echo into our lives and bring truth into our lives, relevance into our lives. This call to repentance that we find in the book of Joel, the promise of restoration, the assurance of God's mercy, they're not just historical facts. They're not just historical these stories. They have something to say to us. They have something to, to do to transform us and to breathe hope into us in the generation that we live. Joel's method, message has the power to guide us through the storms of life. And we all at times go through storms in this life, reminding us that as we repent, as we return to God, that God, not only in Him can we find forgiveness through Christ, but we can find a path to renewed purpose, spiritual transformation, divine blessing. And so here we're going to jump into Joel chapter 2 as we look and understand what God's Word has to say to us in our generation. As we do that, who doesn't love a good spinoff to a good show that you've maybe enjoyed on TV, maybe a movie that you've enjoyed? Uh, some classic spinoffs uh, are, for those of you who are a little older, uh, might remember the show Happy Days. Anybody remember Happy Days? Remember Fonzie and uh, that, that crowd? Uh, well, there's a couple of shows that were spinoffs from Happy Days. One was uh, Mork and Mindy. Mork, Robin Williams, his big signature, his first big break came uh, playing Mork on Happy Days when he met Fonzie. And then that, that became a whole show, Mork and Mindy, which I loved as a kid. Uh, another show, anybody know another spinoff from Happy Days? Laverne and Shirley, absolutely. Laverne and Shirley had a double date with Fonzie and uh, Richie Cunningham, and so that was the that was where we saw them first. And then they had their they had a show spun off. Some of you remember the show Cheers. Cheers. There was a character, not a main character, but a character in the in Cheers. Um, uh, Doctor Fraser Crane and Doctor Crane on the show Cheers uh, was divorced. Got a divorce. Got a had a had a bad divorce, and he moved back to Seattle to uh, take care of his father, and they moved in together. And you remember that show then became Frasier, and I think that there's now a new even remake of that show. And so these, these, these shows like that, these spinoffs, if you, if you know the original show, if you know some of those characters, it really helps inform you and you know a little bit what, about what's going on if you are familiar with the character as they appeared originally. When we look at Joel in, the, in this great prof, prophetic book of Joel, there's a character that appeared. We talked last week. We'll see this week again a character in this second chapter. It was in the first chapter as well that first appeared back in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we want to go there. Let me set the scene for you. 
God's people had been in bondage, slavery in Egypt, and Moses had led them out of, as God had, had done miraculous things, had led them out of that bondage, and now they're on the brink of the promised land. They've gone through the, through the wilderness experience, and now here they are on the brink of the promised land. And right before they enter the promised land, Moses, inspired by God, tells the people who are in covenant with God... Here's what's going to happen if you stay in covenant with me, if you stay in relationship with me, if you're faithful to me. And he lists all these blessings, but then he also said, but if you break covenant with me, here are the curses that you're going to experience. And just as a little fun fact, the people that Moses is talking to, they are the, or, uh, and then the people that Joel are talking to, those are the, that's the same big family uh, the people that Joel are, Joel's talking to, they are the descendants of those people that Moses was talking to in chapter 28. So what Moses is saying to them, the blessings and the curses, if they stay in covenant, are the things that the people in Joel's time can experience. And there's a character that appeared in Deuteronomy chapter 28 amongst the curses where God said, if you break covenant with me, there's going to be, and that's where we see the locusts first appearing. There in Deuteronomy chapter 28, some six to eight hundred years before, the locusts appeared in Deuteronomy as one of the curses that would happen if they broke covenant. And we see that God's people broke their covenant. And they began to worship other gods, and God had tried to get them to come back, and he had warned them, and he'd sent prophet after prophet. But then the day of judgment had finally come, and we saw that last week in Joel chapter 1. But there's a key verse that we want to get today that says, but yet even now the day of mercy is at hand. Even now, even though the, the, the great day of the Lord is coming, even now you can experience mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so with that in mind, let's hear the word of the Lord in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Blow the shofar in Zion. Sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Now, when you read Scripture talking about Zion, it's, it's talking about Jerusalem. It's just another way to describe Jerusalem. So he says, blow a trumpet in Jerusalem. Blow a trumpet. Blow a, the shofar in the capital city. Blow uh, the, the trumpet in, a, in the place where sound a warning, sound an alarm in the place where the temple is, where God's people reside. The present day application of that is blow a trumpet in the church. Blow a trumpet among God's people. Sound the alarm. He goes on to say, on my holy temple, the, the or, holy Holy Mountain, and the, the temple was built on Mount Moriah. That was the, the mountain that he's talking about. So blow, again, blow a trumpet in, in the temple, this place where God's people show up. And so we often, we want to talk about the world, and we think, you know what, the revival needs to come to our world, and we need to have an awakening. We need, God, you know, all these things that need to happen. The world needs to do this different or that different, our nation, our state, or whatever. They need to do this instead of that. But you know who God is really talking to is not the world. God is talking to us. When God says, blow the trumpet in Zion, blow, sound an alarm, he's saying, sound the alarm among my people. He's talking about, if you translate that word, it comes from the word shofar. A shofar was a ram's horn. I don't know why I didn't bring it. I've got one up in my office. Uh, a, a trumpet made out of a ram's horn, and they would blow it when they were going into battle. They would blow it when on the Day of Atonement, other religious you know, ceremonies or whatnot around the temple area. So whether it was going to war or going to worship, they would blow the shofar, the trumpet. 
And Joel is saying, blow the shofar, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, pull the fire alarm. It's that serious. This past week, my dad had some surgery, and we were sitting in the waiting room as he is in surgery, and the fire alarm went off. Now, that's a little disconcerting when you know that your loved one is in, literally in surgery, and the fire alarm's going on, but there wasn't really a sense of urgency with the staff. Everybody's just kind of doing their thing, and the nurses aren't really getting excited, and the, you know, different staff, everybody's just kind of acting like this is normal, and so we were a little freaked out at first, but then, oh, I guess it's not that big a deal. There was no sense of urgency. What Joel is communicating here in this passage is a sense of urgency. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is near. This locust plague has come, and the great day of the Lord is yet to come. Are you paying attention? And so Joel's prophecy encompasses urgency. And when we look at our world, when we look in our lives, when we look in our country, when we look in the church, we take an honest assessment of what's going on. We have to ask ourselves the question, is there any urgency? Is there any urgency when we see churches and, 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 and pastors that have, have walked away from what God's Word says? When there are churches, there are pastors that are more afraid of what people think than what God thinks. And what Joel, the application for us today is that we need to sound the alarm in the church. We need to sound the alarm in our generation and, 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 and see from what's going on in our world the warnings that God is trying to give us, and we need to get ready. Last week, he talked about the ravaging locust that came, that came, which was just a picture of sin and how sin ravages and destroys our lives. And to ask ourselves the question, as we see that in our world, does it break our heart? Do we, as he encourages us to, do we lament, do we cry out, do we grieve, do we mourn? Is there any sense of urgency about what's going on? And to understand that we have been called to take this message of the good news of Jesus into our world, is there any sense of urgency? If you look through those next few verses, it describes another day of the Lord that's coming. They had this locust invasion that we saw in the last chapter. And the question is, is this natural disaster that they endured, is that going to help them to wake up? Are they going to come back? Are they going to repent? Because there's another even worse time coming. As they had broken covenant and they'd walked away from God, are they going to come back? And Joel describes a future event. We don't know exactly what the future event that he's talking about is. But we understand there is another great day of the Lord that's coming. It's a future event for us. And so this big idea that when God gives a warning, when God says sound the alarm, that we need to pay attention when, when the clue phone that God has, has tried, is trying to call us on, that we need to pick it up. Were they picking it up as the alarm was sounding? Did they understand the sense of urgency that God was trying to communicate? Let's go on and read those next verses as we see, as we, as we see this, this picture of what this, this other judgment that's coming, what it would be like. like. He says, let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread among the mountains a great and powerful people, like has never been before nor ever will after them through the, all the years of all the generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes. He's just painting this picture of what, what's going to happen if they don't repent and come back. 
Skip down to verse 9. And they leaped upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earthquakes before them. He's describing a, an invasion that's coming. Before them, the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his enemy, for this camp, his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome, and who can endure it? So let's keep our kind of thoughts on a kind of a 30,000 foot level and just on this flyover to kind of understand that. Again, we don't know exactly what was going on in this, uh, in this passage, exactly what the, the coming invasion, you know, all, all of the, the details of that. But did, did they take it as a warning? Did they, did they repent? Would they repent? Again, it's that message for us. Had God, as God had warned them for generation after generation, for some six to eight hundred years, God had warned them that, that if you break covenant with me, that, that, that it's, it's not going to end well. You need to come home. You need to come back. You need to repent. You need to come back to me. And he had warned them and warned them and warned them. We had two boys, and there were occasions. We didn't do this a whole lot, a whole lot uh, but there were occasions when we would tell them, you know what, I'm going to count to three. And if you haven't, and whatever they were doing, if you don't stop it by the time I get to three, God for six to 800 years had been warning and warning and warning, just like sometimes we do as parents. If you don't come back, if you don't come home, if you don't repent and return, there's coming a day. And so we saw last week that that day had come. But I want you to look, because this is where we want to focus, because we know kind of the, the, the negative stuff. I want to focus today on the, on the positive stuff, on the, on the awesome uh, realization that our God loves us, he's merciful, the day of judgment is not at hand, the day of grace is at hand. And listen to what he says in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. You see, Joel had, warning, had warned them, and we talked about that last week. That there was a, a, a natural disaster, this locust plague that had come, and it was, a, it was just a, a warning that God was giving, you need to come back. You need to, to heed and he sound the alarm. You need to come home yet even now. The message translation translates that 12th verse this way. But there's also this. It's not too late. God's personal message, come back to me. God's personal message to us today, come back to me. Somebody here today needs to hear that, to be encouraged by that. God's saying to you, come back to me. Yet even now, return with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. In other words, I want you to come back, but I want you to really mean it when you come back. I want it to be genuine and real. The message translation says, come back to me, sorry for your sins. Joel's not just doom and gloom. Joel has this core message of repentance. It's a day of grace. And so Joel is sharing God's invitation to return. And so... Joel's prophecy encompasses an invitation to return. He's saying return home. It's not too late. No matter how long you've been walking in the wrong direction, it's not too, too late to turn around and come home. I love the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son who'd gone to his father and asked for his inheritance early, and, and then he went off and he squandered his, his inheritance and he, in wild living and crazy living and making horrible decisions, and he finally realized when he was at the end of himself and he lost everything, maybe I could just go home. 
And when he finally turns around and goes home, remember the story? The father sees him a long way off and he goes running to him. And that's the picture of the heart of God. That God, as we turn, as we make our move toward God, that God comes running after us. Yet, even now, declares the Lord. There's this invitation to return. And that's what Joel is reminding us of. The Heavenly Father's invitation for us to return. The psalmist writes in Psalm 51, it's David, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, finally realized his sin and and turns, and in Psalm 51, he's repenting, and he's, he's coming clean before God, and he says this in verse 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And then Joel helps us to understand what repentance looks like. Go back, look at verse 12, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Joel's telling us, hey, don't, don't play games with God. When you come back, when you repent, it needs to be genuine. Have you ever been driving somewhere and you, you take a wrong turn and then you just keep going? Uh, I don't know how many times that, that's happened with Chris and I. We're in the car and, and I just want to try to figure it out myself. And Crystal says, why don't you just turn around? Just turn around. <laughs> no, it's okay. I got it. I don't need the Google. I'll, I got it. I'll figure it out on my own. I just want to figure it out. And we, we live our lives like that sometimes. I, I got it. It's okay. I just want to figure it out. When God says, just turn around and come home. And that's what we see. He says, to, with your heart, make sure you're, uh, you're returning and you're fasting and weeping and mourning. He says, to rend your heart or tear your hearts, not your garments. One of the things they would do to kind of show the, that they were being authentic and really they were grieved by something is they would tear or rend their garments. And he says, don't, don't worry about rending or tearing your garments. Just, just make it authentic. Tear your heart, not your garment. Because you can still just do that. You can tear your garments for show. And God's like, I don't need another show. I just want you to be genuine and honest before me, to repent. He goes on to say, as we, as we think about that repentance in those, that next verse, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Listen to how God's described. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Again, how's God described that he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love? He'll relent over disaster. That's the picture of our God, not the caricature of our world that, that, that acts like God is some big ogre in the sky that just wants to destroy our lives. That's not God. Yes, he's, he's serious over sin and, he's, and, and justice and, and, and sin. Will be, we will be held accountable for those things if we don't you know, rest on the mercy of Christ and the forgiveness that is offered to us in Christ. If we want to pay for it ourselves, that's not going to end well for us. But this is the day of mercy and grace if we'll repent and come home. And that's the picture of God. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to eternal life through Christ. And so repentance requires but more than just intellectual agreement. It requires something from us that we need to take a turn and we need to be serious about it. We need to confess our sin. We acknowledge that, yeah, I've blown it, but we can't keep going in the same direction after we acknowledge our sin. 
We need to change. It's true repentance. And so he goes on to say in verse 15, to blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber between the vestibule and the altar. Let the priests, let the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? And just notice as he's calling for repentance that that he's not just calling for individual repentance, but he's calling for corporate repentance. And that's why we're doing this as a church, to say to God together as a church, yeah, we recognize that we haven't always got it right. We recognize, God, that things are messed up in our world, but together we repent over those things and we come to you and we pray that you would just do something in us, that you would pour your spirit out in us. And so we see that they were coming together We see this family affair as they're calling, again, blow the shofar, pull the fire alarm, let's let's confess together, let's call everyone to repentance. And so we see that Joel's prophecy encompasses instructions for repentance. The repentance needs to come from all of us. He describes it as being heartfelt, real. Now, again, talking about kids, we uh, had parent-child dedications today, and so we've, we've and talking about children and how many times, if you, especially if you get multiple children, that you have the one child because of whatever they're doing, you make that child uh, apologize to the other child. And sometimes that's real, but a lot of times it's not. And it's an unapology apology. And just like sometimes we make our children have an unapologetic apology uh, because, we, because their heart's not in it. And sometimes with God, we have a an unrepentant repentance. And we go through the motions and we may say it and we may be sorry that we're caught, we're sorry about the consequences, but is our heart really moved? Have we rended our heart? Have we, has our heart been broken over our sin? And so Joel is describing for us a sincere, heartfelt return. He wants us to turn away from our sin and to make a genuine turn toward God. To be sorrow, sorrowful over our sin, to be broken before the Lord, to come back and for it to be real. And then, real quick, I love this last section that we want to look at today as he describes the blessings of repentance. Remember back in Deuteronomy, he, he, he was in front of the people and he said, if you keep covenant with me, there are these curses if you, if you break that covenant. And then here's these blessings. And he talked about the blessings that would come. And so this, is, this last section is just the blessings. This is the, the blessings of repentance, the how many of you, anybody, you've, you're a part of some uh, club with an airline where you get perks? Like you've flown a million miles and you spent $20,000 and you get some free nachos and chips as a perk in the little special place at the airport. You can go in there and it's quiet and you get some free nachos and chips. Uh, if you spend the, you know, $20,000 or whatever it is, that's a perk. You maybe get an upgrade. You can, you can get on the plane a little sooner. You can get a, you can fly first class. Those are perks. And, and these are the perks of repentance. This is what happens when you, when you repent. And how is it described? As the people turn back, And then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. And the Lord answered and said to his people, behold. And and so again, just here's that picture of that invasion that had happened. The locusts that had come and they'd eaten and they destroyed everything. And then listen to how it's described. The blessings, the perks of repentance. He said, behold, I am sending you grain and wine and oil and you'll be satisfied. And I'll no more make your reproach among the nations. 
we see the perks of true repentance. He says, I'll remove the northerner far from you and drive him into the parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea, his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and the foul smell of him will rise, for he's done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. You remember last week, if you were with us, remember that the, even the, the cattle and the livestock were in the, after the locusts had come and there wasn't, there wasn't any food for them to eat and they were perplexed, the scripture says. Well, they're not perplexed anymore. They're in, how, how's it described? For the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Do you see everything just coming alive? That's the, the perks of repentance. God says, I'm going to just pour it out on you. Be glad, O children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He's poured down for you abundant rain. There was a drought that had come as well. Uh, abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors are full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Again, imagine after experiencing all that loss, that God's just pouring his blessings out. Again, the perks of repentance. And then look at verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall, have, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. So Joel is describing how he's going to pour his blessings out on his people as they return, as they repent, as they come home. The perks of repentance. And one of my favorite scriptures is that verse 25 where God tells them he would restore what the locusts have eaten. I don't know how many times in my now 30 plus years of ministry that I've had somebody sitting in front of me in my office or just talking. And they've talked about how, about how you know, they're repentant and they've come back and maybe it's years of addiction or maybe it's their marriage that was destroyed as a result of their dumb decisions and the sinful choices that they had made. And, and now they're coming, coming back to the Lord and they're sitting in front of me and they're, they're just, they're, they're struggling. And, and to remind them of this passage in Joel where God says, I will restore what the locust, and the locust represents the, the sin that ravages our lives as we talked about last week. And sin ravages, but God has promised that he could restore that. And to be encouraged by that truth today, the reminder of the perks of repentance. And yeah, there are consequences that we'll still have to endure as a result of our sin. But God, in his time, either in this life or the next, he's going to pour his blessings out. He's going to take care of you. He's going to restore what the locusts have eaten. I'm going to invite our prayer team to, or our worship team to come back up. And as they're coming back up, um, we've really been trying to give you opportunity to just be open to allow people to pray in your life. You know, prayer is this wonderful, beautiful uh, thing that can, can do so much in us. It's a privilege that we have. And sometimes what's really helpful is when we'll take the opportunity to allow other people to pray with us. And so today... In the back of the room, we've got some people, they've got, they've got lanyards on that just say, how can I pray with you? And if 
you today as we sing this final song, if you just need somebody, would like somebody to pray with you, whether that's a prayer of repentance or maybe you got something physical going on in your life or maybe you just have a child that you want to pray over or you got a situation on your job that you want to pray over, we've got people who would love to pray with you today. And let me just conclude by just inviting you to, ex- to just experience the repentance that God wants to, or the, the, the blessing of, as you repent, the blessings that he wants to pour out in you. Is that the step that you need to take today, to repent? Do you need to ask God to restore what the locusts have eaten in your life? Father, God, as we conclude today, Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for the, this prophetic word in the book of Joel. It reminds us that we need to sound the alarm. We need to pay attention to what's going on in our world, both individually, corporately, God. And Father, we want to do that. We want to do that as a church. We want to do that as individuals. And God, I pray for that person that's here today. And, and they just re- recognize as we talk today that they need to come home, that sin has ravaged their life for too long, and they just need to repent and turn around and come back. And God, I thank you that this is a day of grace and mercy. And you just want to pour your blessings out on them, the blessings that come with forgiveness and mercy and grace and love, your love. God, thank you. Father, for that person, maybe has walked for you, with you for a while, and they look back on some of the decisions they've made, and they, they grieve over those. They grieve over what's been lost. And God, I pray today that you would just pour your blessing out on them to remind them, God, that you, can, you have the power to restore what the locusts have eaten as they trust you, as they lean into you, as they follow you, God. Thank you, God, that you are restoring in this place today. Thank you. God, I pray that as we sing this final song, that you would help us to just be reminded that as we come back, that you love us, that you're here for us. This is the day of grace. We pray in Jesus' name.